Welcome to the Green Money Talks podcast, a series hosted by Green Money founder Cliff Feigenbaum with guests from the world of sustainable business and impact investing. Green Money is the award-winning e-journal that has published news and information about sustainable business and impact investing since 1992. This podcast features me, Carla Fredericks, Director of First Peoples Worldwide and the American Indian Law Clinic at the University of Colorado, as your guest host. Today, I will be interviewing Dave Archambault II. This episode is the first of two parts of my interviews with Native leaders as part of the Indigenous Peoples and Impact Investing Issues of Green Money Journal in March 2020. Now, on to our conversation. We are honored today to have with us Dave Archambault II. Dave is a senior fellow with First Peoples Worldwide and the former chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Hi, Dave. Hi, Carla. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yes, of course. So today's conversation, Dave, is really about indigenous entrepreneurship and economic development. And we're really excited to have you on the podcast because you focused your education and career on economic development. So what led you down this path? Well, I knew that uh, I wanted to try to do something uh, to better our community, better our homes. But I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how I would be able to do it. And I turned to my dad, and one of the things that he did was to try and make the education system better. And so I pretty much knew that his response to me when I asked him what I should go into uh, to make our place a better um, space, he, I knew he was going to direct me into education. Um, but when I sat down with him, and hes uh, I would consider him a, a superhero or a mentor of mine, someone that I really look up to, when I asked him the question, he said, he asked me to take a look around, and he asked how many at the time, uh, this is when I was just out of high school trying to figure out where I was going to go, and at the time there wasn't very many businesses owned by Native Americans, and he asked me, how many businesses do you see owned by own people? And I said none, and he said, um, that's what you should go into. We need our own uh, tribal members, we need our own uh tribe we need our own mem- uh, the membership to offer services business services and that will help our economic development and so he was in education and he was always concerned with uh, the social welfare or social well-being of our our nation um, but there's a development side that you have to address at the same time so I saw that and I took that to heart and I and that was the, what I wanted to pursue is uh, how do we create economic development on uh, my nation, on my standing up Sioux tribal nation. And the first step was just going into business and learning all that I can about business and then trying to influence others to go into business. But it wasn't easy. And the reason why it wasn't easy was because I wasn't really doing it myself. And that pushed me and, and forced me into seeing what can I do as a as an individual to set an example? So I I uh, bought a business. I bought a convenience store in my community, 
And it's not easy owning a business on uh, the reservation where uh, the poverty rate is above three times above the national average. And so uh, you really have to be sensitive to the economy. You have to be sensitive to uh, what is happening within our communities and, and try to meet the needs of our, our membership or, or you won't last long. And so um, that was something that I did. But it was always something that uh, I think I got, I was influenced by my, by my parent, my father, and uh, it just led me into one thing after another to where I didn't really see the environment, the uh, economy supporting local businesses owned by our own membership. And so I wanted to fix that. And how do you fix that? You have to look at the policies, our laws, our codes, and who tra uh, changes the codes. And my interest was creating an, an environment for small businesses. And when I looked at who changed the codes, it was uh, our tribal government, our tribal councilmen. And so <clears throat> I, one of the things I wanted to do is just so that I can uh, complain, I wanted to say I ran for tribal council. I didn't get elected, but this is what I think we need to change. But so I ran for tribal council and I did get elected. So then I had to try to fix what I was going to as as a as a tribal council member. And it's not as easy because there's so many things that come at the tribal government, but it's still uh, it still was a worthwhile effort, and I was really glad and fortunate that I, I was able to be on tribal council. And what it, it did was it prepared me for uh, more leadership opportunities and more ways to try to address uh, our economy as well as uh, create development for our communities. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that path with us. And it's clear that there's so many intersectional aspects of economic development on reservations, as you mentioned, law, policy, socioeconomic conditions, culture. Um, and of course, many people know you as um, the tribal chairman who led the tribe um, through their, their fight in opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. And that event and that leadership really has brought indigenous um, circumstances and the reality of economic conditions on our reservations to a greater degree of public consciousness. And I'm wondering, I guess, now post-Apple and post that experience, how are you taking that experience into the work that you're doing um, to help support economic development in your community. Well, I think it's. Um, I think it was. Uh, well, first, Carla, I don't like to. Um, I get um, recognized as somebody who led the whole DAPO movement. You know, I was a. I just want want to acknowledge that there were, there was a lot of people that um, played important roles with the Dakota Access Pipeline, the resistance with the Dakota Access Pipeline, and you're right. Uh, uh, it brought a lot of awareness, but it was, I would say, our youth had um, a vital role in making sure that in, indigenous peoples around the world have a voice. And so uh, it's really important to, to listen to our youth 
and to hear what they what they are are striving in life because uh, we are here for a short time and after us come the youth and the youth after them and the youth after them and so we have to try to make this a better place and uh, what I'm starting to see and what I'm starting to realize is that uh, there are there's a lot of opportunity um, if we look for it and what I've been working on past is just looking for tribal or economic development projects within Indian country uh, and it doesn't have to be uh, the same systems that have existed or prospered in the past uh, the same opportunities as far as uh, oil and and um, fossil fuel development and so what I've been looking at is how can we explore projects that um, help tribes get into renewable energy renewable development and that's where I've been working with uh, my tribe uh, as a part of a, a board uh, called the SAGE board and uh, SAGE is just a, a board that's been put in place from a section 17 another opportunity for a tribe to explore how to develop within their lands and the section 17 corporation is something that allows the tribe to utilize the assets uh, that are that exist and develop growth and so with our section 17 our sage board we've been exploring a renewable wind energy project and what it's been leading me to realize is that there's uh there's a lot of resources available for start startup and it's real small amounts and then if you have a project that is developed and it needs to be financed as long as it's feasible there's there's a lot of dollars for the development, I mean, the build-out phase, but there's a gap that's missing, and that's finding resources for the middle to middle ground, the development part of it. And so I think that there's a lot of opportunity for different organizations to help tribes um, fulfill that, that financial or that capital need uh, and uh, be prosperous with it, and prosperous with the uh, the opportunity, and in helping tribes. And what I like about renewable energy um, infrastructure development is that if a tribe is interested and willing to do that, then uh, they know uh, how best to treat the land. Uh, the opposite of what happened at Standing Rock and Dakota Access Pipeline. We have companies that come from different parts of the world who don't care about the land, about where their project is going, and they they abuse it. And so, uh, if the tribe is taking the initiative in whatever kind of development, they're conscious of the environment, they're conscious of uh, the, the human rights, they're conscious of of what we're going to be leaving behind for for those that are not yet born. So. It's exciting to see that, uh, whether it's solar, renewable energy like uh, wind, geothermal, uh, whatever the development project is, uh, food, sustainable food, uh, there is a gap that needs to be fulfilled. Uh, but uh, the way I see that is a, and a huge opportunity to work with uh, innovative partners. Great, thank you. And um, just one last question that I think everyone is probably wondering um, 
after that very eloquent description of um, potential partnerships between investors and Native communities. If you could tell investors the most important thing in your view to know um, in working with a Native community, what would you tell them? So my view is never the same as anybody else's. Uh, but I do think it's important that um, the the most important thing when working with a tribe is not to push something on a tribe, but to allow the tribe uh, the freedom and the flexibility and the liberty of saying, this is what we want to do and this is how. And a lot of times just the, the natural law, uh, the, the instincts that tribal communities, uh, tribal leaders, tribal developers have, are conscious of what can be done right. Great. Thank you so much, Dave, for your time and for the conversation. Yes. Thank you, Carla. You've been listening to part one of a conversation with me, Carla Fredericks, and First Peoples Worldwide's Senior Fellow, Dave Archambault II. In part two, I will speak with the Executive Director of the Gwich Inn Steering Committee, Bernadette Dementif, on their corporate advocacy work. For more information, go to greenmoney.com. This podcast was produced for Green Money Journal by the University of Colorado. The music you've heard is Doug Goodfeather's song, Mini Wachoni, Water is Life. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh. Onche, my